want you to begin thinking about uh, your participation in one of our small group Bible studies uh, this fall. They'll begin uh, really very quickly uh, in the middle of August when school starts back. We'll start our fall semester of small groups here at Wallula Christian Church. And uh, maybe you're remembering from uh, the last uh, season in, in the spring, your, uh, the, the friends that you met and the relationships that were built, the opportunity you had to uh, to have a conversation about the message from Sunday, to study uh, that scripture again, and, and just to uh, learn from God's word. Uh, maybe you're remembering the good things that were provided by that small group and your participation there. Perhaps you haven't been a part of a small group here at Wallula Christian Church before. I'd encourage you to begin thinking and praying about um, participating in one this fall. Just uh, There'll be lots of opportunities. You'll be able to find a, a time and a day that'll work in your schedule, and uh, it, it'll provide you with that chance to uh, meet some new folks, to uh, build some friendships, and to uh, study God's Word together, and to have a lot of fun in, in the process. So uh, begin thinking about uh, being a part of a small group. Maybe you've been a part of a small group for a while and uh, you've thought about perhaps somebody's even talked to you and asked you about leading a small group. Uh, really consider that as well. There'll be an orientation for small group leaders this Wednesday night. There's some information in your uh, bulletin about that. Check that out. You're welcome to come. That doesn't obligate you to lead a group by coming to that. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to encourage you to be a part of a group and, and to perhaps uh, team lead or to lead a group, but uh, that doesn't obligate you necessarily. Just come out and, and find out what that means. Uh, we, we'd love to have you for that as well. There are just some things in life that are better uh, shared. We learn this pretty young. We learn this as kids. There are some things, you know, that are just better shared. And I, I remember as a, as a kid going out to recess and, and playing on the playground equipment, uh, you know, there were just some objects, some items, some playground equipment that were really better uh, more fun if they were shared. There's a picture here of a teeter-totter. Some of us remember teeter-totter. This is an actual picture of Bill Chris playing as a... Maybe not. But anyway, we remember teeter-totters. Uh, some of us, these are far too dangerous for our children today. Uh, they can't have these at school any longer. But uh, we know, if, if you played on a teeter-totter, you know that, man, they're not as nearly as much fun by yourself. You, you need a partner. You need somebody else to totter uh, on one end as you teeter on the other end. And uh, you, you, you just need to share that equipment. And you know this especially if you were with the jerk kid who just sat on the ground and never let you back down. I'm over it now, okay? But it's better if it's shared. And some things in life are just better shared. We learn that when we're kids. At a very young age, we learn some things are better shared. And, and we want to live that way our whole lives so that we can share things when we get older. You know, when we get older, some things will still be better shared. Maybe the, the porch swing, we think about those uh, good days, you know, watching the sunset on a porch swing, and certainly that experience would be fine and nice and enjoyable by yourself, but if you can share that experience with somebody you care about, uh, then that's going to be all the more better. Some things in life, from the beginning to the end, are just better shared. Uh, some of us are going to leave uh, this afternoon after worship. We're going to go have some lunch, and we know that there are some things that are better shared, and I think meals are one of those things, right? There are some food that are designed, in fact, to be shared. Uh, pizza, you know, it's cut up into those individual pieces, and that meal is just better shared. 
If we're honest, though, there are some things in life that we don't want to share, you know, that aren't better shared. Maybe your toothbrush. You don't want to share your toothbrush. Now, I've had folks say before, well, if you really like somebody, you know, you can share their toothbrush. Maybe your husband or your wife, you can share a toothbrush. But, I mean, come on. You know, let's say, well, you kiss her. With her that's the same thing. Now, I don't want to give you too much information here, too private of in information. But, you know, when I kiss my wife, I'm not trying to, like, dig leftover pieces of supper out from between her teeth. You're doing that with the toothbrush. It's, it's different. If you think the toothbrush and kissing is the same thing, you're doing one of those things wrong. All right? So there are just some things that are better not shared. Underwear, better not shared. All right, you have a pair of boxer shorts, you want to keep those mostly to yourself. All right, They're, that's better not shared. Again, I don't want to give you too much information, but I have a, uh, one of my kids came home uh, one night from a sleepover. The next day, uh, Sherry, you know, said, hey, take this laundry, put it away. And on top of the laundry was a pair of underwear. My 16-year-old son calls all underwear underpants, which just cracks me up. I don't know. It's like, first of all, like, what century were you born in that you think that's the terminology we use? Anyway, so it cracks me up. But Sherry gave this child uh, some clothes to put away, said, where did this underwear come from? And they said, I borrowed it from one of my friends when I was, spent the night, and I thought, you have good friends, right? That's just, just a little bit weird. The underwear better to not be shared, all right? And let's be really honest, if we're completely honest this morning, we're in church, so we should be. That whole pizza thing, that was a lie first time, right? Better not. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Some things in life really are better shared. And, and when we think about those things, you know, maybe it's a, a playground equipment as a kid, you know, a game that we played, uh, that we play together with our friends, better shared. That meal and the relationship that's built over a meal, that's better Shared, And then we think about some of the really great things in life that we get to share. And it, it, in the series that we've been calling Doomsday, we've been walking our way through and thinking about, you know, the end times. And, and all the way through, each time we've, we've tried to uh, encourage each other that, hey, you know, even though we can get lost in some of the, some of the language and, and some of the descriptions, and we can, we can think about you know, the, the evil that's talked about and the bad stuff and the hard stuff in life that we have to endure. You know, this is really a message of great encouragement. And this morning, we kind of put all of that stuff, the, maybe the difficulties, the hard stuff in life, we, we can kind of push that to a side because we're just paying attention to God's glory this morning. And the awesome fact that he wants to share that with you. He wants to share that with us. It, it's amazing. And when we, when we remember that he invites us in and wants to share that, that uh, a glory and, and a relationship that we'll be able to see him face to face someday, it, we ought to ask ourselves, you know, how are we a part of that? How can we be a part of that? What does that look like? And I think there's three keys this morning and 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, there are three keys that will uh, help us to understand what it means to share in his glory. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We'll uh, be in chapter 2 this morning. We'll take a look at verses 13 through 17. Some of you are reading God's Word on the YouVersion app on your, on your phone or your tablet, and uh, if, if you're using that app, then you can find uh, Wallula Christian Church under the Events button, and that should take you to an outline, and then uh, have uh, the Scripture reference there as well. If you grab one of our bulletins on the way in, you can see the outline on the back of that bulletin. You can fill in the blanks as we go along if that's uh, you know, if you like to do that, at the top of that outline is a page number that will take you quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and one of the Bibles you can find in the chairs around you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. This is what God's Word says. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. To be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Three keys that I think are taught in this section of scripture. Key number one is that we need to uh, remember that God made room for you. God made room for me. God made room for you. God made room for each one of us. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Loved by the Lord, Jesus loves you. That's such a simple idea, isn't it? It's, a, it's an elementary kind of idea. If you have kids and you want to teach them about God and teach them about Jesus, what's the first thing we try to communicate to, to kids? It's that Jesus loves you. It's that God loves you. You know, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's this simple, basic fundamental, elementary idea, but it's so important that the God who created the universe, this creator God, this God who made a way for us to know him through his son Jesus, this God who keeps everything going and has bought us back, this creator, sustainer, redeemer God loves me. He loves you. It's such a basic idea, but it's such a big idea too. It's hard to wrap our minds around. Love is just one of those words that's, that's tough to, for us to fully grasp, but it motivates us to do crazy things, and, and sometimes we stick with somebody way too long, all in the name of love. And it's no different when Paul talks about God's love, because it's this layered kind of love, and we'll see it even in this section of Scripture there's the love that God attributes, that Paul attributes uh, to the Father God. And, and that love motivates him. It, it moves through him. Everything happens because God loves us. 
And, and so he sends his son Jesus into this world. And the second layer of that love is, is how, it, how it takes effect that, that we see that love move through his son Jesus. Jesus enters the world and he ministers and he teaches and he heals. And ultimately he goes to the cross dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, raising from the dead three days later, and now promising to return. We see God's love in action through the life and ministry, death and resurrection of his son Jesus. And then we learn, we figure out, we, help to, we, we experience the difference that his love makes through the work of his spirit. Jesus put that love into action when he entered this world and when he ministered, when he died on the cross, buried in the tomb, raised on that third day. He ascended into heaven promising to return. But before he did, he said, guys, I'm not leaving you alone. I promise I'm going to send a helper. I'll, I'll give you help along this way. And I, I, I love you so much right where you are, but I'm going to give you help through this life. I'm going to continue to grow you and change you. And I, I, you, my spirit's going to move in and be a part of your life. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll make you a new creation. And so God's love motivates him uh, to, to, to help us experience that love. He sends Jesus in the world to put it into action. And he provides us with his spirit to help us understand how that love takes effect. How that love changes us. How we can experience that love. This big idea, and Paul is, is telling the church in Thessalonica, hey, God has made room for you. He loves you, and so he's, he's going to do this. And, and that love is, is multi-layered even. Have, have, this was sort of a new term to me. I've, I've got to admit I'm a slow learner. You guys have heard this before. Have you heard about Easter eggs in movies? They'll say, oh, there's an Easter egg in such and such a movie, and, and that evidently is like this little hidden joke or this hidden uh, idea in, in a movie that's just kind of this cameo appearance of something in a movie. I'm, I'm an old guy, so I found some Easter eggs from movies in the 80s, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you watch later, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a scene in the temple or the cave or wherever they are, and there's all these cave drawings all over. And one of the cave drawings with, with Harrison Ford there and, and opening the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, I think they're round, I don't know what I, anyway, on the cave is a picture of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I don't know if you can see that. You'll just have to trust me. It's there, right? Steven Spielberg, same director, has this little Easter egg in the movie. Maybe you are a fan of, of Tron. Anybody remember Tron from back in the day? It's a movie about people, I think, that were sort of living in a computer, that kind of idea, and it's a sci-fi weird show. The original movie in the 80s had another 80s icon in one of the scenes, the little Pac-Man in the computer on the side, this Easter egg that's there present. Or perhaps you're a Toy Story fan. There's Toy Story and the story of Toy Story. The toys go to kind of this creepy kid's house and the creepy kid's house, it's, it's the carpet is the same pattern. It's the same carpet as the creepy kid from The Shining. There's all these Shining references evidently all through Toy Story, these Easter eggs. And they're little images, they're little ideas, they're, they're little jokes that aren't really hidden. They're there for you to be able to see them. 
If you'll just look, if you'll, if you'll try to unpack it, and if you have way too much time, you can find the picture of R2-D2 and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, there are some Easter eggs. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, there's this hidden mystery message in Scripture. I, I don't think that's true. But there are some nuances in Scripture that as you study, it kind of makes more sense. And this very simple idea, when, when Paul talks to the church in Thessalonica and he says, you are loved by God, he borrows language from way back in Deuteronomy. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, 32 and uh, 33, rather, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12. It's the blessing that, that God gives to, to Benjamin. This uh, Remember, J Benjamin was one of the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. You kind of reach back in the history of Israel, and you remember some of that stuff. And, and that's how the 12 tribes came to be through these sons. And it just so happens that Paul is the descendant of the family of Benjamin. He's a Benjamite. And in other letters, Paul will make a big deal about how uh, Jewish he is and how he's lived that life and done everything he could to, to please God and religion and pursue that and how if anyone should be on the inside, it would be Paul. And now he's talking to this church that maybe... I would suggest they had no idea that that was sort of the Easter egg hidden in this letter. That much of his audience didn't know that he, he borrowed this language from Deuteronomy, a blessing to God's people way back in Deuteronomy. And now he's conveying that same blessing to this group of people who, didn't, who, who don't realize it, who don't realize that's where it came from. And yet he's saying, hey, God has invited you. He's made room for you. And now we're reading that same blessing. We're reading those same words that God loves you, that he's made space, he's made room in his family for you. No matter your history, no matter your choices, no matter where you came from, no matter your heritage, no matter any of that stuff, God's made room for us. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world, and through him, we can be a part of his family. We can experience that love. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. God chose you as first fruits. Uh, some translations will use this language that God chose you from the beginning. And, and the, the idea is there, it's just harder to see. I think this is probably a better translation that God chose you as first fruits. Because he's saying, Paul's saying to this church, hey, God has placed you in this place, in this time. He's chosen you for this, this city and for this time in history to be carriers of his love to share his story, to share how the difference that he's made in your life with others. He, he's placed you here first, not for you to be the only followers of Jesus, 
But for you to, to, to share that story with, with others and, and that same promise, that same thought is uh, we, when we read this, he's chosen us as first fruits. He's chosen us for this time and this place to share his story and to share his love with others around us. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you might share in the glory and that is so cool. And, and sometimes we hear that word glory or whatever and we think of uh, maybe a parade or a trophy, but understand that the idea of God's glory is, is so much bigger than that. Let's, let's go back and just, just give this a little study from the Old Testament. And when the Old Testament talked about God's glory, find the book of Exodus. It's at the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 33, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 33. We'll look at verse 18 and, and a few verses following. Exodus, chapter 33, verse 18 says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. He wanted to experience who God was and how big God was. He said, show me your glory. That same, that same word conveyed here. And, and then uh, this is how God responded. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. It was too much. It was too much for Moses. Moses, the Moses who, who God said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And so he did. He, he stepped foot into the Red Sea and the waters parted that Moses. The Moses who God said, I, I want you to, to take my word to the people. And so he carved some stones and gave them to Moses and he carried them down the mountain, the Ten Commandments, that Moses. That Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to experience that. And God said, okay, but just, just a little bit can't see my face. You can't experience all of that. Uh, Moses is going to experience some of that, and he's going to take it to the people, and he's, we've got to figure out a place and how we're going to worship God as we wander in this wilderness, as we don't have a, a place to call home right now. And, and so they, they come up with this idea of the tabernacle. God does. He said, you're going to do this. You're going to have build this tent, and everywhere we go, you're going to take this tent, and there you're going to worship me. Now turn over in, in Exodus chapter 40. Just a few chapters over. So they have this tent of meeting, this tent, this place of worship. Verse 34 in, in chapter 40 of Exodus says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now check out what happens. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine that? Just, just to, to illustrate how amazing this is, God puts this cloud over the tent, and his glory fills that place of worship, and Moses couldn't go in. Well, the same thing will, will happen over in 1 Kings when dealing with the, the temple in, in 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 10 says, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. 
Uh, see, this, the glory of the Lord all through Scripture is this I, idea, this, this presence of how big and how amazing and how powerful and how awesome God is. So big and so awesome and so amazing that you couldn't experience all of it. You couldn't look God in the face. And so you go back to 2 Thessalonians, you go back to the promise that Jesus is returning, that he's made room for you, and what's a part of that promise? And verse 14, that we'll share in his glory. A couple big ideas that we ought not miss. First of all, this glory that's attributed to God in the Old Testament is absolutely attributed to Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is God. He's creator, sustainer, redeemer, God. But Jesus, choice to go to the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his promise to return, changes the entire story. He changed us. Because we're the same people. We're the same people who, when Moses goes up on the mountain. They decided, we got to figure out something to do. Let's build a golden calf and worship that. This is ridiculous. We're those people. We're so easily distracted. We so easily go in our own direction. We're those people. We're the people who, who Paul, just in, in verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians, said, don't be shaken. Don't give in. We're those people. We're, we're so distracted by God, we didn't change. We're still making the same dumb kinds of choices, the same selfish kinds of choices. So what changes to be able to share in his glory? Well, Jesus enters the world, he dies on a cross, and he raises from the dead. And when we say yes to a relationship with him, God doesn't see our choices, but he sees the blood of a son. when Jesus returns, there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more hurt and there'll be no more tears. That's why we can share in his glory. We'll be made pure through the blood of the Lamb. Be able to look at him face to face. No passing by, hiding in a rock, face to Sharing his glory. I'm not smart enough to figure out what words can really convey how absolutely amazing and awesome that promise is. God loves you so much that he's made room for you and his family to be a part of his team, to share in his glory. Key number two is that he loves us in the here and now. That's, uh, to share in his glory, that, 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 that's the, that Jesus is coming back, that's happening someday. 
That's a promise that's yet to be fulfilled. And here we are, just like the church in Thessalonica, here we are trying to figure out how to make it from point A to point B. And God said, I love you. I'm not leaving you alone. Uh, And the second key is that we can keep growing more like him. Verse 15 says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm firm. This is, a, this is a direct response from verse 2 when, when Paul talks to the, the church and he says, you know, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed and, and don't waver, don't become unsettled, but stand firm. It's a military term that, that talks about holding the line as the opponent, as the enemy charges. You hold that line, you stand firm, you don't move, you, you don't waver, you don't shake. We can keep growing just like him, and, and, and uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to be unsettled. Uh, we've been watching some of these videos. Uh, we have a mission team just uh, serving at a, at a sports camp south of Mexico City, and, and uh, during the day, sometimes they'll post these videos on Facebook, you Facebook Live, and we can see some of the activities that they're doing, and one night, it's a, it's a church camp, and, and so like any other church camp, you know, at night, they have some games and activities, and, and this one game they were playing involved two kids who were standing on a bucket, each one standing on a bucket armed with a pool noodle. The object of the game was to knock your opponent off the bucket. You know, you've maybe played a game like this, and, and you think about standing on a bucket and your feet together and, and somebody pushing you with a, with a stick or with a, a pool noodle and how you can lose your balance and, and sort of become unsettled. But, but God says you can stand firm if you hold on to my word. You know, when we think about what knocks us off the, our bucket in life, and, and sometimes it's, it's false teaching, like, like the church in Thessalonica was dealing with. They had heard what Paul had said, they'd read his letter, and somebody came along and sort of pointed them in the wrong direction, and they were off, worried, unsettled. And false teaching plays that same role. Sometimes today we have to, we have to go to God's Word and, and, and pay attention to it. Uh, sometimes what knocks us off our bucket is just a lack of motivation, a lack of initiative. We were driving home the other day, and Sherry received a text from her sister. I said, hey, what did she say? She, uh, Sherry said, well, she just went out and ran four miles. And quickly there was a text that followed from her brother who said, I've been looking for something to motivate me. I'm getting out too. I'm going to go ride the bike or, or, or run. I'm, I'm going to go do something. And I said, will you pass those chips over? And we need motivation sometimes. We need some initiative to go and to do. And, and if you think about just the initiative of somebody who says, hey, let's go run together. Let's go to the gym together. And that motivates us to meet them early in the morning to do that. Well, think about what we just talked about. The fact that the creator of the world wants to share a relationship with you, that he wants, to, wants you to be able to, to be with him for all of eternity face to face. Man, that ought to move us to to share that message that we know and that love that we've experienced with others who maybe have yet to experience that love, who maybe have yet to experience that relationship. But even when we're motivated, sometimes, man, it's hard to, to go and to serve and to share and to do those things. And sometimes it's because we're knocked off the bucket because we just feel inadequate to do those things. People will ask me sometimes, hey, do you get nervous when you preach? 
And my response is usually, uh, I'm a preacher, so it's a long one. But I say, well, not really. You know, I've, I've, I mean, I've said enough dumb things. I've done enough dumb things. I've embarrassed myself enough that I'm not worried about that. You know, but then I think about the job, the task at hand, which isn't to entertain and it's not to tell some cute stories. It's to, it's to explain God's word. And if you're a student of God's word, who when that task is presented to you, doesn't think, man, I, I at least, I want to do no harm. I don't want to point people in the wrong direction. I want to explain God's word well. If that doesn't cause you just a little bit of anxiety, of worry, if it doesn't cause you to maybe consider the fact that, you know, I'm inadequate for this task, you know, that's a natural, probably appropriate response. But we can't even let that. And think about what the term stand firm means. It's Paul's using military language, you know, holding a line, standing there with a spear as, as the enemy charges. If you bail, you're, you, the buddy next to you is in deep trouble. Not only that, but the city behind you is in even bigger trouble. You have to stand firm. So we have to hold on to God's word. We have to, to study it so we can, we can know what the truth is. We have to use that as motivation to understand that his story is a big one and it matters for all of eternity. And that even though uh, we are inadequate to do that task for whatever reason, God's made room for you. He's made room for me. He's invited us onto his team and he chooses to work through us. So we can hold fast to his teachings. Scripture describes itself as being good for teaching and rebuking and instruction. It's an instruction manual that can point us in the right direction in life, but it's more than that because Scripture also describes itself as living and active. It won't return void. It has eternal implications. We can keep growing more and more like him. Key number three is that Jesus will work through you. Let's look at the prayer that that Paul offers in, in verse 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This God who who loves us, who has made room, who has done so much for us, now will will not only offer us that hope in the future, that good hope of, of a relationship with him forever and ever and ever, that internal encouragement that will carry us through life's difficult times, but he wants to encourage your heart and strengthen you in the here and now. You know, how does he do that? He does that by allowing us to serve others. That God is going to, he's going to build into you. He's going to change you when, you when you just buy in and say, I want to love somebody else. When you serve spaghetti at the third Thursday meal, God is going to encourage you through that. When you hang out and you, you work in a homeless shelter on Monday night, God is going to encourage you through that. When you play dodgeball with the middle schoolers, even though you're going to know you're going to pay for it the next morning, God is going to encourage you and strengthen you through that. God wants to to use you in a powerful way beyond who you are, and he wants to make a difference in your life. You know, this group of 12 folks in in Mexico, they're going to come back soon, and we'll get to hear stories of what they've done and where they've been. And and I promise you, 
I promise you that somebody, more than one probably, from that team will say something like, yeah, we hope that the camp made a difference in these kids' lives. We hope they, they learned something. We hope we were a benefit to, the, to Sean and Susan. We hope that we made a difference even in our host homes, you know, their family's life. We hope they were encouraged by that. But this is the difference that the trip has made in my life. This is the difference that God has made through this service. As you choose to share his love, as you choose to serve him, he's going to encourage you and build you up. He's going to change you. He's going to change you for the better, change you for the future, change you to share in his glory. Some things are just better shared. We uh, had a chance, uh, while my oldest two kids are on that trip in, in Mexico, uh, just so happened with Sherry's work schedule and whatnot, we had a few days where, hey, if we were going to take a little trip and have uh, some vacation, it was going to have to be over those days while they were gone. And so uh, we went with Sherry and my youngest daughter, Zoe, and, and spent a few days hanging out together and having some fun. And, and uh, you know, one day we decided... Uh, we're going to stop in this, this little town, and we're going to go in the store. We're going to have some ice cream. And so we walked into the, the store, and, and we're checking out the ice cream. And, and there are a couple things that you need to know about me. One is, is pretty obvious. That's that I like ice cream. All right? The second one, I'll just go ahead and tell you. All right? Some of you know this. You've experienced this. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you. I, I'm a cheapskate. So I'm checking out this ice cream. And, man, it's ice cream. That's good. But then I'm like, they must really, this must really be good ice cream. They must love this ice cream. Because, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I want to spend this much on ice cream. And, and so I decide, okay, this is what we'll do. And, and Sherry said, what are you going to get? And I said, oh, I'll just share some of yours, and, and I'll share some of Zoe's, and that'll be fine. Right? And so we buy this ice cream, and because I'm thinking, you know, in my mind, my kids are still like five years old. You know, if you have little kids or you remember when your kids were little, you went out for dinner and it's like, oh, you order it, yeah, this, and they're going to eat one nugget and dad will have the rest. That's a pretty good deal. Right? So my kids are still stuck there. And that's kind of why, so I'm buying this ice cream and, and Sherry's looking at me because I'm taking bites of her. That's pretty good. And then I'm like, Zoe, what do you, Zoe's down to the waffle cone. The ice cream is gone. There was no sharing, right? There was no sharing. And some of the best things in life are meant to be shared. And this is what I know, that you're here this morning. There's still time. There's still time for you to say yes to that invitation from Jesus, to be a part of his family. He's made room for you. Make today the day. If you've yet to say yes to him for the first time, make today the day. He's made room for you to share in his glory. He loves you so much. He loves me so much that he won't leave me where I am. That even though I mess it up all the time, he's going to continue to work on me. He's going to continue to work on you, continue to grow you more and more like him. We have the chance to play a, a position on his team, to be a part of his family. Make today that day when you begin to share in his glory. You can, you can talk to me about what that means. How do we say yes to Jesus? You can talk to somebody you see on stage. Ask the person that invited you this morning, but don't leave today. If you've yet to say yes to him without doing that, without beginning to share in his glory, let's stand.